പോളണ്ടിൽ എന്ത് സംഭവിച്ചു പോളണ്ടിനെ പറ്റി നീ ഒരക്ഷരം മിണ്ടരുത് I was looking at the cast and crew of Kung Fu Master and Major Ravi's son is the cinematographer. You know, that's some nepotism that we don't really talk about in terms of people who do a bit more of the technical jobs, you know, like editing and cinematography and things like that. It's very interesting. I'm sure he will become a director at some point. Yeah, and I have a lot of thoughts about the Kung Fu Master. Me too. Is that the first one we want to start with? Actually, let's sort of frame things for people who are listening. And we're at our last episode of Action Films in Malayalam Cinema. And we're taking a focus on women in particular. Now, we did have the film with Kavya Madhavan, but we that was more Suresh Gopi focused. Yeah. So this is a place where we're looking at women more in the forefront and how that plays out in terms of what is an action film with a woman. Yeah, I mean I've been a, I've been unofficially calling this the girls kicking ass episode. <laughs> and I think that's actually a good description of it because as we go through the films today, there is definitely a lot of physical ass kicking. but there's also in the case of one of these films more of a swashbuckle kind of approach to it actually two two of the films we're going to talk about today women being strong and clever and not relying on you know the men to rescue them or not always absolutely they're the ones driving the story forward and maybe i say this about every set of movies we watch but this was refreshing in that way it was really hard to say that there were in any of these movies women didn't have agency we're looking at films from across a number of eras right up to the kung fu master which is the most recent one if you'd like to start there we can start there absolutely first of uh, i guess i'll give a summary which is that this is about a martial arts gang that the police want to infiltrate and so they get a Malayali martial artist. So the martial arts gang is in North India, but the head of the gang is a Malayali martial artist. And so they get another Malayali martial artist to do some reconnaissance for them and get information on the gang. And so the gang leader realizes that this guy is basically spying on them and he goes and kills all of the good martial artists. family uh, including his pregnant wife and 10-year-old child and unexpectedly violent and brutal and then he, this this guy his name is Rishi the good martial artist and his sister Ridu who are both professional martial artists and do you know camps and teach kids and stuff like that she also another career as a assistant professor at a university somewhere in Dehradun but yeah they basically uh, drop out of society and decide to go on this year-long vengeance against this martial arts gang. It's very different from a lot of even Indian action films. Particularly, I mean, you know, it's in the title, The Kung Fu Master, particularly as we're having this focus on an Eastern Asian I'm going to say martial arts because there's no other way to put it. But it's also very interesting for me. It's not that martial arts components are not in Indian films. They are. 
you see some of that in how some of the action is choreographed, but I can't pull out of my head another film like this that very much roots itself and roots itself in Wing Chun's style martial arts. Yes, there's a level of knowledge about martial arts in this movie that you typically don't see. Maybe you see it in my own movies about Kalari, but when I think of martial arts in Indian cinema, I think of like Akshay Kumar, and so who, who is a martial artist, but a lot of his fights are much more of the pow pow, dishum dishum variety than what you see in this movie, which is the very focused hand-to-hand combat that especially I noticed with Nita Pele. The actress who plays Ritu, I really noticed that it was unusual to see like a kick land in that way, you know, a shot where she gears up for the kick and you will actually see it land. Even when I complain about Western movies not having good action choreography, that's one of the things I complain about where, you know, you see the cut so that it looks like somebody just winds their arm up and then the other person is flying away. So you never feel the impact of the punch or the kick. I just saw Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and I don't like Marvel movies, particularly because all the action is in blowing up buildings and CGI. So it was, it was very refreshing to see, you know, as I said, punches land, kicks land, and not have the cutting away that takes away from action choreography a lot of the time. So this movie had that, which was refreshing. And I know Nitu Pilla did a lot of training. I think she trained for about a year to do this film. And, you know, there is a point where she and her brother are teaching martial arts and explaining martial arts. And they talk about the fact that there are various styles of Kung Fu. And that's a level of information that we don't often get. And if anyone listening isn't really familiar with the style they're working in, which is the Wing Chun, you have to think of Ip Man. And the Ip Man films. And I will throw a clip in, in the show notes of one of the famous action scenes from Ip Man where um, Donnie Yen and Samo Hung fight on a table. And it's like there's wire work. That's like the comparison that you come to with this. But I liked the fact that despite how I have some feelings that are not entirely positive about the film, and maybe we can get into that a little bit. I did like that here was some real effort to present it in a way that showed that they they did some research and they did some study and practice in all of this. Yeah, this movie felt like Abra Chine was catching up on the Mon series and was like, let me write a movie (laughs) that uh, has features Wing Chun. And fair play to him because this is, you know, a place that my own films haven't gone in the past. You know, you, you get a little bit of the Chandani Chok to China type stuff in Bollywood, but this is definitely something new for Malayalam cinema. And Abir Chan is, he's an interesting director because he had this huge hit and like also a critical darling in 1983. And it was part of making Niven Pali a star. And then after Niven Pali got that star status, he made action hero Biju with the Shine, which I, I don't like that movie. It is extremely pro-police brutality. So to come to a movie like this, where he doesn't use big stars, you know, it seems that he also made Boomerang, which I forgot about, you know, with Kalidas Jairam, which the only prominent thing about that movie is the song from that movie. And so to, you know, with this cast that are not stars in any way, it was interesting. You know, I was wondering why 
Nevin probably didn't do this movie. Uh, maybe he didn't want to. Maybe he passed on it, which is fine. I just think this is not as well directed as some of his previous work. And, you know, I've heard often, especially at Prithiraj, but also I think Nevin Pali, he does a lot of the directing on his movies. So it kind of makes sense to me that this is not as well directed as Abdur Chai's movies with Nevin Pali. Yeah, and it is kind of all over the place. Well, his career is kind of all over the place. I mean, I guess that's a positive in some ways, but it also means you don't get a real sense of what he can do as a director. And coupled with the fact that he may not be the main source of direction on a film, ends up being a little frustrating. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I really do see this in a lot of uh, Niven Pauly's films, where once the director stops working with him, the, that magical touch is gone. <laughs> the movie you saw with Niven Pauly in it, and I often think the thing that ties it together is Niven Pauly and not the director's vision. Yeah, and I think the fact that his films are all over the place does show kind of an inconsistent vision. And I'm not saying that, you know, directors shouldn't look at trying different things. Even Lido Joe Pelicheri has, he has a definite style, but he has been a little all over the map in trying out different concepts, like Nayakan or Amen. And I think all of those had the, the kind of quirky humor and a little bit of the kinetic energy that he brings to a film, but they were all kind of different as well in many ways. But I don't see any kind of unifying thread in Albert Schein's work. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a touristic style to Lijajo Spelicheri's movies, and I can't pinpoint that in Albert Schein's work. And, you know, he's only four films in, so it could come later. Uh, Lijajo Spelicheri is extremely prolific, so it's just easier to pull a unifying That's true. motif from those things. I'm going to say that the Kung Fu Master doesn't work for me as a film in a lot of ways, but I do like the fact that this is a director that went, I want to take a chance on this idea and I want to see what we can do with it in my cinema. And I'm going to, however it turns out, I'm going to make the effort to have my actors train. They mention Ipman and Donnie Yen in the film. So he's clearly telling us that he knows what this is supposed to be. I think my frustration with the film is I have a good grounding in Hong Kong action films. And when you see the speed and the precision and the elegance of action in Hong Kong action films, rarely does something else match up. And I think that's one of the failings of this film is no matter how hard people trained, you can see that they are not real masters of this. Yes. You know, beyond fine choreography, the acting is also very... Everybody behaves normally, but there's something like a stage play to this where everybody is talking in only very <laughs> mundane dialogues are exchanged. When anything exciting happens, the audio just goes out. And we're just get... There's very little productive dialogue in this movie. I was very confused. Did they just not want to write the dialogue? Because unless the, the villain is menacing, there isn't a lot of character-to-character -character interplay happening. The most we get is when Vitu has an arranged marriage proposal and we get some conversation within the family and between her and the guy who the proposal is from. You know, everything else we're supposed to gather from 
people glowering and muted dialogue. And it feels, it feels odd. It's an odd movie. And just from the title, The Kung Fu Master, I had expected a more fun movie. Yes. And I did not expect this to be so violent and, you know, expect a a 10-year-old child and a pregnant woman to die. And that happened so early on, like quite seriously. I was sitting there going, oh, my dear Lord. And I, tr- I have only watched this movie once, which is why I'm struggling a little bit around putting words to it because, and I, I tried to watch it a second time and I was hitting fast forwards. I fast forwarded through that violent scene where the family is killed and I fast forwarded through a lot of things. And, you know, essentially I was just sort of stopping when we got to an action scene so I could think about the action scene. And I think really, unfortunately, it doesn't work beyond a first viewing. And it's not a film that I can, you know, if people are saying, well, I want something unusual, I like this. Like, I'm not, if someone likes martial arts, I'm not going to recommend this film to them. I'm going to go to a Hong Kong film or I'm going to go to something where the martial arts is, see, I, I don't even know what to say about the film. Uh, yeah, I, I guess what, another thought I had was that this movie wanted to be a martial arts film, but at the end of the day, the parts of this movie that felt real and most comfortable were the parts that Malayalam movies excel at, the family dynamics, the interplay, the regular ha- normal things that people do in a Malayalam movie. And when it got to the action, when it got to the you know, revenge plotline, it didn't know what to do with, with itself. On the other hand, you know, we talked about how the cinematography is from Major Ravi's son, Arjun Ravi, and it has the benefit of beautiful locations. You know, we're looking, we're talking about the foothills of the Himalayas. It's beautifully shot. And, you know, I really liked the idea of having an action scene in snow. Yes. And it wasn't super well executed, but I did like the idea of what what they were going for. Well, you've got those scenes too at what was the Beatles ashram in Rishikesh. All the beautiful abandoned building structures the places they shot at really were beautiful and places you never see in Malayalam cinema. So, I, you know, I was looking at all the uh, graffiti on the walls. I, you know, I was basically doing everything. <laughs> I was looking at all the graffiti, all the things that people had written on there. Absolutely, you know, the production design was, uh, you know, top notch. Yeah, and then again, that ends up frustrating when you don't have a narrative that matches, like, I look at it and I, th- I think there was a lot of potential here. And I'm with you. I loved those opening things with the family and, you know, arranging the marriage and these little things. And it was gone. It was gone so violently and horrifically. And what we end up with is really a, you know, a vengeance film with not much else except let's just do a lot of vengeance. Yeah, we don't get the payoff of, you know, okay, somehow, they you know, after they've gotten their vengeance, they've made peace and they get back to life. And the fact is, you have to consider, there's no way somebody can get back to normal life after, you know, losing their whole family. But I wasn't feeling the mood when I started this movie for 
such deep thoughts about trauma and loss. And, you know, if it was one person, if it was just the dad who died, it would have been a reasonable thing, you know, okay, they get to go back to their normal life. But no, it was the whole family. It was an eradication of family. Yeah, and there was potential because, I mean, the, the only one who survives, I mean, the survivor guilt must be immense. And I guess, you know, survivor guilt is is something that propels him to, you know, take vengeance. I also wasn't quite clear. I I felt it uh, it was a little more clear when I started watching the second time. I was not clear in the beginning why they went after his family. That does become more clear later in the film. The way they did the chronological progress of the story didn't really make any sense. There was no reason for them to, like, show that he was actually researching about the martial arts because they hinted at it at the beginning yes and then we go straight to the massacre so they could have put a lot of this uh, story exposition earlier in the um, story where i mean i don't think i would enjoy this movie anymore (laughs) any more than i do but it wouldn't be so confusing because it's weirdly edited yeah and i missed out on the hint the first time when i started the second watch i went Ah, okay, they did give me that information, but it still wasn't enough. Yeah, they said, oh, there's a Malayali who does martial arts here. And then they, like, cut to the family, doing family stuff, and then they're done. I kind of tied together, but it was, I I didn't realize time had passed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize time had passed from when the police say, oh, there's this guy we can talk to, to the family hanging out. So I didn't realize, you know, maybe months had passed and Rishi had been spending that time researching this game. Ugh, I'm cracked up when he pulled up the PowerPoint presentation of <laughs> <laughs> the criminals. I remember, there was something so really low budget about this movie and, and that really, there's this, uh, I think it's a Destiny Child video where like she's texting her lover, this from the early 2000s, on an Excel spreadsheet on her pop pilot. And <laughs> Music videos, and that's what it felt like to me. This man really just made a PowerPoint presentation about this criminal gang, and that's what's happening in this action movie. Well, we also have when we get our villain introduction, it's sort of creepy tantric martial arts stuff, and I was sitting there cringing so badly. It was so awful. We talk about Abershain being inconsistent. I'll say the two things this man is consistent about is he hates recreational drug users and he loves the police. I get so annoyed about the way drug use is often depicted in movies, but just he's especially bad because he's doing cocaine. It's just a very prudish outlook on life. And, you know, in action here, Biju, part of the reason that movie so cringe to me is because they treat marijuana use like equivalent to somebody like massacring an entire family or something like that. I wish I likes the, um, I guess the cool vibes that doing drugs gives, but he <laughs> always wants to condemn drug use. And you know, the parts where the government warnings come, smoking is injurious to health. There are so many warnings for this movie. Smoking is injurious to health, alcohol is injurious to health, narcotics is injurious to health and against the law. Yeah, this movie was chock full of awkward things where like he wanted to portray people using drugs and having sex and tantric sex but he was also too prudish to like go there yeah well and he would never have got a censor certificate 
Absolutely not. <laughs> but, okay, so now that we've done this film to death, the, the point here is, you know, women kicking ass. Oh, yes. Ultimately, her brother's revenge, but it's also her family. I mean, she lost her dad and she lost the nephew she was really close to. So... Yeah, she, she does an admirable job. The guy who plays the brother, um, Gigi Saria, he's actually a martial artist, and you can tell because he's not very good looking. And so he wasn't selected for his telegenicness. He was selected for his martial arts skills. And Nita Pila spent a lot of time, a, a year training for this movie. You know, so that's, that's wonderful. I hope she actually gets to use it in another movie. I don't know if she's that great of an actress. Actually, the only person who I thought was impactful on screen in terms of acting was the villain. He spent a lot of time glowering. And like, <laughs> what, what, a, what a one dimensional character to play, but he somehow kept at it. So, you know, kudos to him. But yeah, I hope she gets to do martial arts. And there was no reason that an act, like a real actor couldn't have done the same thing, trained for a year like she did to be in this movie i wonder what the reason was that they went with a martial artist than an actor who trains in martial arts well i think one of the things we can say about her i mean she has sort of skin issues and those show up on screen and and i comment on that not to be judgy but i mean one of the things we we know from our k-drama watching is that they filter and smooth and they do everything and everyone has perfect glowing skin and, you know, your choice of an actor, the visuals are going to be part of that choice. You've touched on that already. So if you don't have the visuals for that, what is your option? Well, maybe your option is I'm going to get this role and I'm going to train for a year and I'm going to show them I can do something no matter what. But I also appreciate when they haven't done, you know, the glamour and the smoothing and the makeup because that makes the the heroine feel more real to me I could see my I mean I can't do martial arts but if you see someone who looks a bit more like you on screen you could say well I really connect with that and and if this happened to my family I'd probably want to go out and you know kick all these butts yeah you know it's not like she doesn't ever wear makeup she does I you know I've seen photo shoots with her of her wearing makeup but it was definitely a important choice and and I I have to know everybody was wearing super comfortable clothes in this movie <laughs> and nobody was wearing clothes that you know especially in the martial arts scenes it was really nice to see them both of them wear really comfortable clothes that were good to fight in. It's one of the things I noticed because typically I don't really pay attention to clothes and even in the scene where the guy is coming to meet her for the marriage proposal, she's just wearing a t-shirt and jeans. There's a very, and I couldn't tell if it was a budget thing or it was like a conscious choice just to keep her in super comfortable clothes and never um, make her, you know, put on like a sari or even like, you know, a little bit nicer kurta or something like that for that scene. Well, and some films would have done that. Some films would have said it's more important to, you know, glam this heroine up. But I, I you know, as you say, I really appreciate, if, I hope these were actually conscious choices because that, it makes sense to me. Like for this character to be not glammed up, to be, wearing comfortable clothes it, it absolutely was in character and it made a lot of that that choice would have made a lot of sense so i really hope that was an active choice and not just luck this movie is very emphatic that the sister ritu is is not for eye candy 
but th there's also again once I <laughs> it's so in stark contrast to the way the movie treats the the, the villain's moles, the white girls in the tantric scene. So, uh, so this movie is not beyond objectification. It's just they're not objectifying this one per character. Well, and, and thankfully the one character they're not objectifying is, you know, a key character who is the girl who kicks butt. Yeah, I was just a little, like, at the beginning in that movie, like, the way they show one of the white girls is, like, they focus on her a navel in this very lecherous way and it, it made me uncomfortable so I to go from that to the contrast again is, is was a little weird for me yeah but no but I will agree with you that scene that is yeah uncomfortable Icky. but maybe we want to turn now to independence because if we've if yeah. we've gone from you know our de-glammed powerful heroine to a not declammed powerful heroine, there is the, you know, the opposite side of the coin. This is a very classic Masala movie, and it is basically about two sisters, one of them being Mani Vishwanath, who comes from Bombay to enact vengeance, on, again, on people who killed their parents when they were young. It starts off with her pretending to be a police officer called Sri Devi, and basically doing a a raid on a villain's home, but the actual police officer is played by Kushbu, who, uh, when she hears that somebody's going around pretending to be her, starts to investigate Vani Vishnath and her group. And in between, there's all these hijinks with Kushbu's husband being kidnapped and switched with a guy who looks like him. And there's also a part where the sisters kidnap the son of their parents killer and uh, the younger sister has feelings for that guy because they grew up together as children but he turns out to be about as bad as his dad and so at the end obviously they get their vengeance and the police officer comes to see their quest for revenge as justified yeah and this was one that you picked because we we wanted to talk about vani Vishwanath. And I maybe have seen her in things, but not as someone who's, you know, the star. It was a good experience and yet a frustrating one because you know that I had trouble finding anything with subtitles. And anything that she was in with subtitles, it was a more minor role. I would adore to have this film with subtitles. I liked it because all the women are powerful. I, I told you, I remember watching this as a kid and I remember really finding it entertaining as a girl power movie. Now that going back, I remember when I was little too, I didn't like the scene where the younger sister is kind of in a possible sexual assault, possible a physical assault situation with the guy that she's in love with, the villain's son. You know, I remember that even when I was a kid, I hated those scenes, but Overall, I remember really liking this movie as a girl power movie. And also the, the song Nandalala Nandalala, the songs in this movie are really yes. good in my opinion. It was one of the first dances I did for my school annual day fest shows. So I like did it with like a big group of classmates. It was, it was a very popular song for little girls to dance to in the 90s. So th this movie has a lot of nostalgia for me. Yeah, and I'm not going to say it's not problematic. I really would love to watch it again with subtitles. That's not denying that there are problems but it is a lot of fun and it was really interesting that in some ways it's not inconsistent with the kind of massy action film a mohanlal or a mamudi would make 
Yeah, it's chock full of comedy uncles. Exactly. Great songs. So like, it's very familiar territory in that. Bunny Bushman like, gets a hero entry of sorts. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the, the typical thing where the car doors open and you see, see her step out. But, you, you know, they're high-heeled boots. I love those little touches. Like if you're going to to give a woman a Massey hero film, let's do the Massey hero trope stuff. The other thing that, that struck me about this, like she's gorgeous. Oh yeah, she is beautiful. And they style her in very flattering ways, even when she's kind of wearing like jeans and t-shirts and stuff like that. I mean, uh, but I feel that way about Kushbu too. They, they really set them up as like two powerful women, but also who are attractive. And so, but they're not quite... I feel like Kushbu is a little bit more objectified because she actually has a husband and she's very romantic with him. So they get a, a romance song and stuff like that. But she initiates the romance. Yes, yes, very much. They're very into each other. Exactly. And I found that really sweet. And I actually like her husband's character a lot. Although, you know, it is a little uncomfortable because the intimate scenes that she initiates are with the guy who's returning to him. <laughs> Although he, he looks uncomfortable at points too. Like this poor guy has been roped into this. I think this might be one of the things that, you know, some we talked about with uh, Anjamba there and stuff like that, where these female police officers don't get to have a home life or they don't get to be women. And I really kind of like that she gets to be womanly in this movie while also being kind of a hard-ass police officer. Yeah, and you look at the, at the date, which is 1999, and you think, whoa... There are so many things about this that are really good and that for that time period could have all gone sour. I mean, the film has such kind of a goofy charm to it. You had fun, and I, I, I remember this movie as being fun. One of the things I will say is, this is directed by Vinian, and Vinian, in a lot of ways, gives Kalabha and Mani characters with more dignity than most of the other directors. And, you know, someday we'll talk about casteism, and I am not qualified to talk about casteism, and you've said that you are not qualified, obviously, but Kalaban Mani was one big victim of casteism in the industry, but Vinayan was one of the few people who gave him roles that justified his talent. And he gets to be funny, but he also gets to not be the kind of servant character that gets slapped around and stuff like that. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned him because I did make a few notes on him. For me, that was actually a huge loss when he passed away. Yeah. Because I had found him a very likable presence in a lot of films. And I loved his character. The film on Wikipedia is cl- classified as a, as a fantasy. <laughs> okay, I guess in that way. I kind of looked at that and went, what? Because <laughs> his character is some kind of magician and shapeshifter. So he escapes from things. And there's a point where he and Vadim Viswanath turn into cows. Yeah, it's a bit like Odian, um, the, the Mohara movie. He does a lot of the same thing that Odian does. Yeah, and it's fun. It's just, it's really fun. And, you know, it, it, was a, it was really nice to see all these actors that, you know, have passed away, Rajan Pidev and Cochin Hanifa. This is, you know, full of people that we love watching. And I was thinking, what would God earn money? You know, he just passed away in 2016. But even since then, actors who were comedic actors like Indrans have had obviously a resurgence of their career. And I was wondering what, what his career would have been like today i really do miss him 
I do too. I mean, he was, you know, he was famously multi-talent, you know, with his music and his acting. But this movie really does justice to him as, as a side character. Yeah, and again, one more reason that this film needs subtitles. We need to be able to share this film with people. Like, I got most of what you did in the in the summary. I got most of that out of the film. I would have loved more of the fine details. Maybe one of the things that uh, you didn't catch, Murley, another uh, deceased actor, he was a communist, and he gets blamed for the parents' murder, and he gets a life sentence. And he gets to kill the villain at the end, obviously. There is like an interesting tension between wanting to uphold the royalty as noble people who were wronged and also the communists are good people. But that, only bad people here are the businessmen. So there's an interesting tension in this movie between... Yeah. And communists are... It's, for the most part, good people in 90s Malayalam movies throughout. So he says that God is the greatest communist. That's one of his lines. Yeah, I, and I did miss that. And, I, and I, because I didn't have subtitles, I didn't quite get why they were going after these corrupt businessmen. It becomes very obvious at some point later in the film, but I was asking, well, is there something near the beginning that makes you understand why they're doing this? And obviously there was. Yeah, they were talking in the beginning of the movie about, they did a little bit of flashback where Rajan P. Dave's character and his son and, and the girls' parents and the girls as little kids, they're all in one scene together. And they kind of mentioned their parents as being dead. The person who raised them, Captain Raju's character was another servant, just like Marley's character in their home. So there's some subplots about labor and politics and politicians who manipulate labor to get ahead by saying they're communists, but they're actually not. Yeah, there was the whole opening thing with the picture of Gandhi and the guy who turns into Gandhi. And I was sort of like, OK, it's about politics. Yeah, that guy is a Gandhian, so like he says he's a Gandhian, but when they offer him money, he's willing to basically do whatever they want. And there's also a subplot about politicians who go see the the living God the first of every month, and there was a politician in Kerala at that time who went every month to go by it. So that was kind of a reference to him, Karnagaran. So then there's you know, very topical things that you would obviously, as an outsider to the culture, you wouldn't know. No, but I would have gone to look them up if I was, if, if those dialogues were there and I could have read the subtitles, I would have went, okay, I need to go and look these things up. But without subtitles, I'm going to miss, you know, other than the broad strokes of the film. If you're going to watch unsubtitled, a massy action film is kind of the way to go. Yes. <laughs> You're going to miss out on the subtleties, but you're not going to miss out on the basic. You get the regular beats. Yes, exactly. You know, I think it in all the critical points of this movie, uh, it was one of the things we, we talked about at the beginning was that women were the ones pushing the story forward. They're the ones with the most agency. I mean, we have a damsel in distress in the younger sister who kind of gets swindled by her childhood sweetheart, but... For the most part, her sister says, it's just because you're young. <laughs> you got swindled. <laughs> it's not because you're a woman. Yeah. And it, if you have the one female character and that's all she ever gets is needing to be rescued, that's incredibly frustrating. But if you have women around her who are powerful as well, you can see it as on a spectrum. And you can see it ex as exactly that. You just need to learn a little more or live a little more and, and you know, you'll get here. 
you're not going to be stuck in damsel in distress. You'll get here. Yeah, and at the end, you know, she and her sister, they're executing this together. She's definitely her sister's right-hand woman. I mean, it is interesting to think about this. It was just accepted as a mass movie. I mean, we don't talk about it, you know, independence as a great mass movie of the 90s, the way we talk about a lot of these Mohanlal movies. I mean, as you know, you you said that you it, you hadn't come upon too many of them in your decade of watching the movies, right? So I feel like these movies could get lost in time if, you know, people like me who remember having good memories of these female action movies don't keep talking about them. Yeah, they will get lost in time because... We can talk about it, but this is going to be aimed at a very narrow audience, i.e. people who understand Malayalam. And it's driving me crazy that I can't go out and say, watch this film to people, because how can you expect people to watch without subtitles? Like, I will, I'm willing to do it because I'm very invested in these things, and also because I have you to explain when I'm cluing out, but you can't expect people people to watch without subtitles. It's an unrealistic expectation. And I wish that, like, I am frustrated too, because there are very classic films that are being shunted aside because nobody's willing to put in the money to restore and subtitle and get them out there again. And for some of them, it's like, do a crowdfunding. You're going to tell me that you're going to restore, you know, a film I've wanted to see for 10 years and you're going to have subtitles. I'm going to put money in for the crowdfund. And I don't think I'm alone. I think there are enough people in this space who want that. Whether they want the subtitles or not, they might be willing to for restoration. And we're seeing, you know, the SQ people who are doing some, we saw that with um, Jayan. They are willing to, to do some level of restoration not full restoration but they are trying to to you know upgrade the prints and then they don't put subtitles or they don't like the the one jan film i was thinking about they did a big splash and said they were going to have it on their channel and it never appeared so i think there's a place here for things to happen and specifically with after she got married she just kind of faded away you know, she wasn't considered an actress in the way Manjuari is considered an actress. So people weren't ever clamoring for her to come back. And I think that's sad because she's an extremely charismatic presence on screen, in my opinion. I mean, we remember it from Hitler, too. She was standing next to Shobana, who would always tower over anybody else. But you see in the movies where she's the lead, she's an extremely charismatic presence. And I want to see her back in movies. You know, she's married to Babaraj who has had an amazing career in the new generation movies and I hope that there's some motivation for him to like encourage her to come back as well. Yeah, I mean one of my notes about her was she has great screen presence and that connects to the charisma you were talking about. I mean apart from being styled beautifully and yeah. I just I I never wanted to take my eyes off her in this film. And I'm like you I would like more. Please let's bring her back. Let's let's subtitle more of the films she's in. Let's bring her back. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned her husband, Baba Raj, who has, you know, with the new gen, shifted from playing these villain, bully, gunda kind of roles into doing, you know, comedy and, you know, e- expanding what he can do as an actor. So I think his wife deserves the same. Yeah. The thing is, <laughs> just like in, when it comes to Manjuarir and that guy, she, she was a bigger star when they got married. 
it's sad that these women just kind of fade into domestic life. I mean, even if it's their choice, a lot of this is the social pressure and the industry not wanting married women. So the one thing I found interesting, and that will maybe lead us on to the next film, the actor who plays the sister's love interest. Krishna. I realized when I was going back to looking that he's also in the Manju Warrior film we're going to talk about today. The late 90s, I think, was kind of setting him up to be something like a Rahman figure. He's in it for, you know, the sweeter, younger, romantic, but sometimes double-crossing character. He does not have any facial hair in the way that most actors had at that time. Um, so he was kind of like a Rahman figure in the 90s. He's related to Shobhana Vineet, and he's Padmini of the Travancore sisters, Lalita Padmini Ragini. Her grandson. So he's he comes from a famous acting family. And I would say sort of, you know, as a physical type, he doesn't really appeal to me, but he is kind of prettyish. So I could see why, you know, he might have a shot at those kinds of roles. Yeah, I really fancied him when I was a little kid because it was like a like non-threatening Teen Boys magazine that The Simpsons meme he has that vibe, like a like a boy band member. So let's go on to the next film that he's in with Manju Warrior. Yes, Daya. Do you want to summarize this one? I will. And I mentioned Swashbuckler up at the beginning, and this is definitely a Swashbuckler type of film. You've got Mansoor, played by Krishna, who's the son of this wealthy, noble father whose health is ailing. I spent a lot of this film going, oh dear, Mansoor. <laughs> he's 17, so the movie does say he's 17. So the kind of mistakes he makes are... Dumpty mistakes. Yeah, and I was going to say he's very much a kid. And at 17, yeah, that, that makes him sense. But, you know, his father, they have a very lavish lifestyle, but he's spoiled. And at 17, when you're spoiled, you don't make a lot of good choices. But they show like at the beginning, the servants bring him breakfast and he's, you know, I don't want this breakfast. This is not a good breakfast. And behind the scenes, it's quite funny. They switch things up in the breakfast and bring it back to him and he's willing to eat. And he has a set of teachers that his father has set up for him. And he's always got a headache and doesn't want to learn. You know, it's like I compare this to like little kids who don't want to go to school and they feign a stomachache. <laughs> but that's his character. But his father passes away and he ends up inheriting everything. And because he falls in with some terrible friends who take advantage of him, he ends up with nothing. So everything his father built up, the business, I think they sell fabric or did I get that wrong? Yes, well, they sold all sorts of goods, including fabric. So yeah, everything is gone. And once the money is gone, the friends are gone. And he ends up with the only person in his life is this slave girl, Dea, from their house. That's Manju Warrior. And she proposes that he sell her at the slave market and then use the money to start over with. We get some hints that she's in the house because in these scenes that I talked about with the, with the you know, the eating the meals and the teachers, you get this camera pan that it's obvious somebody is watching. So we can assume that that's her. When they go to the slave market, she sets a very high price for herself. She has a, a very um, strong sense of her own self-worth. I mean, we can talk about the problematics of slaves and this or that, but they also set in a fantasy kind of time period. She does say that I am learned in all the arts and all the sciences. So you, I am worth, you know, 16,000 denards or whatever. And 
you know, if the whole premise sounds like a fairy tale, it is. It's from Arabian Nights, the story is, and it's adapted by M.T. Vasudevanayar. So it has a higher level of pedigree than your average action movie. And it's quite clear it's being told as a story because we have a storyteller opening the film, and this is the story he's telling. Now, you know, you have that, and I'm already sucked in for a film. She ends up in a competition about showing off her skills and her knowledge. Yes. Is that at the slave market or is that, or is that, does that happen twice? Um, I think the, so the first, it does happen twice in, with two yeah. kings. So she, one king buys her for her 16,000 dinars and then tells her she can continue living with Mansoor because he found her to be so pleasing and talented and whatever. She ends up at some point disguising herself as a man. And this is how she ends up with the second king and this series of kind of challenges he sets out for her. And then she wins him over so successfully she becomes his minister and starts doing, you know, governing things. But when it comes to the point that the king thinks that she'd be a good match for his daughter, she realizes she's got to get them out of this. It's adorable. She makes an adorable man. She does. I never feel that this is a woman disguised as a man. I feel like this is a man who's... Very young. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because I was thinking, running through a list of words in my head, not effeminate. Sometimes that comes across when it's a woman disguising herself as a man. She comes across as a young man. And she's very competent. And she does good things for this kingdom. And when it comes out that she's not a man, the king is furious and wants her punished. But the people are so pleased with what she's done, they want him to reconsider. And in the end, she ends up marrying Mansoor and retaining her post as the minister. And in between, she gets to do a lot of horse riding and disguising herself and trickery when one guy who enslaves her is a big creep. She she basically spends a lot of time avoiding him by you know, setting up all sorts of traps for him. She gets to do archery. It's a full-on swashbuckling fun movie. And I think we, you know, there was a time I think Malayalam movies used to make a lot more of these uh, kind of uh, fantastical swashbuckling movies. For, you know, we, we know that Hindi cinema makes the horse riding swashbuckling movies a lot. Like four skills a Hindi hero needs is like horse riding, <laughs> dancing, <laughs> martial arts, and like acting classes. So that is not a thing in Malayalam cinema, but there was a time when Malayalam movies used to do all of this. But this is a little bit special in that this is set in the Middle East and everybody's wearing like your typical Aladdin-esque outfits. And... Uh, Lal, who plays the creepy slaver, he's kind of like Jafar. There's a whole Jafar and Jasmine dynamic to them. But, you know, I think there's a little bit of like taking from Disney movies at that time, too, because which was the fairy tale standard. But again, another movie I had a lot of fun with. So much so I actually started to try to watch it again this morning because I realized there's so much going on in here. There's a lot going on in this film, but you, it doesn't feel messy or convoluted. It's just, it's well-written. It, it's very tight. Yeah. And if, you know, it had the budgets or the production values of movies today, you know, I'm sure, you know, obviously, you know, their cameras are not as great as they are now. The set designs and everything is very competent, but it just doesn't look as nice as we can imagine it to be looking today. Yeah, and I had kind of a little feeling like with the costumes that you could see they were a bit like homemade type. And as you said, people sort of doing their best with the budget they had to bring us this 
fantasy. But the fact that you've got Manju Warrior at the center of this really anchors everything. I was thinking queer studies academics would have a field day with this movie. With her dressing up as a man and there's like a whole romance song with her and the princess. And you kind of see her being like, "Ah, I I wish I could, you know, but I can't. (laughs) (laughs) I felt a bit sad that she married Mansoor in the end. Yeah. Because he needed some growing up. I mean, she'll take care of him, though. Like, even at the beginning, she tells him when they go off to restart their business after the first king lets her live her life as she wants to. She gives him very specific instructions about what price to sell bolts of fabric at and don't sell to foreigners, she says. And he messes that up. And that's the reason she gets kidnapped by Lao's character. So she's the brains of this operation and he's just there to be the pretty face. (laughs) Well, and you know, why not? (laughs) We've lived for so long with the opposite of that, 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 you know, flipping that lens once in a while is is refreshing. And this movie wasn't as big a hit as Kanmadama and those other movies, but this movie, Kanmadama Kuttamdata, where Abbas is her pretty face while she's an acting revenge. These movies really, for me, are the core of Manju Ayer. She is fully capable of carrying a movie on her own. And people are willing to write for her talent. And, you know, I think these movies are what will make her so beloved. And they weren't available for a long time. I mean, still some of her earlier work is again, needs some resurrection, but that's happening more and more. Like this is a film that I would not, in apart from the last few years, that I would not have found with subtitles. So that is happening more with her career, but she's also back working again. So perhaps that makes some difference too. Yeah, there's more interest in her now. So th- uh, maybe her old work is what people are seeking it out. Yeah. And I, and I mean, that's reassuring and I hope more of that happens. Well, maybe you can tell us where you uh, watched it with subtitles. It was on Hotstar. I don't think it is anymore, but it was on Hotstar for a long time with subtitles. So it may end up elsewhere. And I hope it does, because it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Well, Hotstar is like any streaming service. They sort of have licenses for things and they cycle through a lot of stuff. Now, whether it's available on different iterations of Hotstar, if people have Hotstar, they might want to check because I'm working with Hotstar Canada. And I know Hotstar India has a lot bigger selection and a lot more classic films than I get. But there's also been the situation with Hotstar in the US where Disney, because Disney bought them out a while back and in the US they were shutting down Hotstar and rolling their content into Hulu or Disney Plus or something like that? Hulu. Yeah, okay. Hulu, which is not available in Canada. Yeah. So I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Please Hotstar. Please Disney Plus. <laughs> Please don't get rid of it. You know, Madhuri Nayar, who was the head of Asian for the longest time and then became the head of Star after Fox, uh, you know, after Rupert Murdoch bought it out. And now he's the head of Disney India. So there's a Mayali at the head of Disney India. So I hope this man, and, and you know, Mariana is like always at these Malayalam film industry events. He's at the Asian Awards. He's like any awards show, uh, Malayalam movie stars are always thanking him. I mean, this in the good way. He's the Harvey Weinstein. Without all the hashtag problematic. <laughs> yeah, like, you know how Harvey, Harvey Weinstein was always accredited in every Oscar speech basically since the 90s, the same way Mother and Liar is always kind of thanked. It's good for Malayalam movies that Malayali is at the head of Disney India. 
And I've been thinking for a while that we may see some shaking out in the OTT industry because there are a lot now and there are so many of them splintering content. I mean, I've reached the point where I am not signing up for another service. It's not going to happen. So it will be interesting to see how all of this shakes out, including the hot star situation. Fingers crossed that, you know, things will work out well. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I really worry about is because Disney owns everything, and like, including my own movies now. I, I'm really afraid of getting geo-locked out of a lot of stuff. If nothing else, we're going to illegally stream Disney. Please don't make us do that. Stop geo-locking stuff like this. Yep. Yeah, it is a concern of uh, Disney loves to put things into the vault. And somehow ra random Malayalam movies made in the 90s end up in Disney's vault. It makes things unavailable to a lot of people. Yeah, and it's a huge shame because if, if, I, if you said to me, which service would you keep if you could only keep one, I would keep Hotstar. Because the selection of older films with subtitles is much better than anywhere else. I mean, the productions aren't great and they haven't done a lot in terms of, you know, restoration or anything. So, you know, things can be a little fuzzy and wonky. But if your point is to see some of these very classic films, that's usually where you go. Yeah. So fingers crossed. Yeah. But that kind of if again, now we're thinking of women who've had a career, took time away, came back. Well, Shobana didn't take a lot of time. You know, she did take a lot of time away. It wasn't because she got married. It was just because she wanted to focus on her and she became a teacher in that time. But we have Tira, directed by Vinit Srinivasan, which was kind of a comebackish film for her. If you exclude Sagari Lee's Jackie, reload it. Yeah. And you are. <laughs> <laughs> you are excluding it. But this is a film where she's clearly, you know, the main focus. This was the, if I'm remembering correctly, this is the only film for which she has done her own dubbing ever. Yes, yes. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense because she has a very, I don't know how to describe it. I guess she has a Tamil inflected accent, but she has what I would consider a cosmopolitan, non-resident, Kerala-like accent. And much like these movies, there's a lot of, you know, especially like Kung Fu Master, there's a lot of different languages being spoken in this movie. And so her accent doesn't stand out, I guess, compared to a, something, you know, if it was just set in Kerala and you're in a village where her accent kind of doesn't make sense. So would you like to give a summary for everyone? Yeah, Chobar plays Rodney Pranab, who's a doctor, but she also runs a rescue like a halfway house for girls who have been trafficked and she actually rescues them herself her husband is a journalist who's been working on and trying to find some of these human traffickers and he unexpectedly dies and there's an allegation that he was caught with an underage child and so th there's a stain on her reputation now and then sort of in a parallel track Tian Srinivasan plays Naveen who's a brother going to meet his sister somewhere in Karnataka, and his sister gets kidnapped right in front of him. And so at the same time, Shobana's a little halfway house for girls. All the girls get kidnapped, and they come to this realization, uh, Shobana and Dian's character, that it's the same group that did it. And so it's a, basically the plot of the movie is her trying to get her girls back and him trying to get his sister back. And there's a lot of 
action that she coordinates, but, you, you know, she's always in a side in this movie, so it's not like she's doing kicking in her shoulder and things like that. But she's a whole lot of action, you know, she's setting up bombs and she's getting Dan out of his, uh, showing him how to get out of, you know, like a restraint and stuff like that. So she's a woman who could kick butt, but she's not actively kicking butt. She's the brains and he's the brawn. Yes, yes, he's the brawn of this operation. And I really like that because... I felt her character was always in control, in charge, smart, had good connections, had people she trusted, had people who trusted her. And I know that, you know, the temptation is to say that Dion Srinivasan is the one doing all the action, but I do find it sort of weighted two-thirds Shobhan on one-third him in terms of the, the power in the film. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, all he's doing is basically following her instructions. She's the one pushing the action forward in the movie. And so I kind of hate the way this movie is shot. It's too busy. The the camera angles are like frenetic and I get what they're going for, but it doesn't work for me personally. It's John T. John who did the cinematography. We know he's he's a very competent cinematographer. So this is the director's choice at the end of the day. This is Vinny's choice. But it, it does add to that frenetic activity in the, in the movie where, you know, there's a deadline and she needs to get these girls before, you know, they're trafficked out of their area where they can get them. And we get this cast of characters around her, including a trans person. She's a very worldly woman with a broad view of life. And, you know, everybody kind of looks at her as a woman who can do anything. I agree with you about the camera work. It's very dizzying. And I did have a wonder because I did not see this in a cinema. I've only seen it, you know, on my TV screen. Um, When it came out, I got the DVD and, you know, and recently again, just, you know, watching it for this. And I did wonder how I would feel in a cinema if that would lessen the feeling of feeling very dizzy on a big screen or if it would just make it all worse. This is not a flattering comparison, but it reminded me of For the People, which also had that frenetic camera work. I don't think you need... I remember my brother just sitting there when we were kids watching and going, do you know why the camera is moving so frenetically? It is to show action. I was like, bro, I know this. Like, he was like, film critiquing the point of people. And that's what I was thinking of. It was like, we need sitting there going, let us move the camera frenetically to show action. <laughs> Which I don't think it really needed. I think the pacing was reasonably good and Shobana is strong and forceful and when her character needs to do something, it just, we go, we go, we do. And part of that is because they're working against these time constraints because they they know if they don't get the girls, they will be gone. Side note about John Srinivas, and since we're talking about, you know, on the heels of talking about nepotism, because this was his debut film in his brother's film, I remember at the time thinking, oh, he's not bad. The second time through, I thought, boy, Shobana covers up some of his weaknesses as an actor. And I think the camera work also covers up some of his weaknesses as an actor. He's definitely the weak link in the cast. And I don't think he would have been cast if he wasn't the brother. Because in those interactions with Deepak Parambal, who plays the villain, Deepak takes most of the attention in those scenes and obviously you know the scene with Shobana you always heard to be the one who we pay attention to but the villain is once again (laughs) taking away a lot of the attention because he's the more committed menacing figure and Dan just comes across as I'm just doing what Shobana told me to do. And I mean I've seen him in a few films and I find him likable as long as it's 
a small part in an ensemble cast. And I think that covers up his shortcomings. I mean, I'm thinking of the one I enjoyed in Jimenez was Kunira Mayanam, which is a very funny movie. And, you know, he has these extremely talented comedians around him. So he can play the dimwit and actually he, he doesn't weigh things down. Yeah. And then there's also, was it Love Action Drama where he directed? I haven't caught it, so I don't even know what it's like. This was an oh dear moment for me. So if we're talking about nepotism, I think, well, you have a niche and it's, you know, small and straight man and letting other people shine around you. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I honestly can't see how you could put him as a as a true, you know, lead first lead in in a film. Because, you know, as you've said, Shobana just makes everything he does look better. I think there's a part of me that feels like uh, when they were growing up, people told Vinit that Dian was the handsome one. And so Vinit was like, I guess I'll make him a movie star since he's handsome. And then he puts him on screen and he's like, oh, actually, I mean, I don't know if Vinit's come to this realization, but we have that he's not actually star material. Yeah, so I think that's enough to be said about him, particularly when... We have Shobana. Girl power, Shobana makes it all better. Yes, and the, the ending of this movie, they're very much set up with there should be a sequel, and I think that was uh, Vinny's intention as well, and I'm confused why that, that sequel hasn't happened yet. Well, there was a lot of chatter about it being a trilogy. Uh-huh. There was that, and then they, they were going to start the second part, because as you as you said, I mean, it's no spoiler to say that they set us up for something at the end. And there was a lot of chatter that Dulker would be in the second film. Now, I would love to see that. Yeah. I mean, especially because, you know, obviously they already worked together in a very excellent film. I, yeah, it's been, you know, it's been eight years. I, I just don't understand why it hasn't happened yet. I don't, I'm sure Shobana's super busy. She has a she has her dance school. She has her daughter. I think her mother passed away at some point in this decade. So it might be just her availability. But I, I hope the script is locked down at least. Yeah, but you know, in eight years, she has done other movies. Yeah. I don't know about you. But if I were the director, I would be like, I'll wait for you. I will work around your timetable. Let's do this. Here's the script. We're all ready to go whenever you're ready. But yeah, I mean, she does a lot of Facebook live videos and Instagram videos because she's one of the rare people I follow on social media. And I think because I find that part of her very interesting and very fascinating and, and how she's using that to keep connected with people. Yeah, I, I mean, I follow her on Instagram as well. And she and her daughter dancing together. Uh, I mean, you can't see her face, but you kind of assume that's her daughter. And, you know, looking at Shona's filmography, it's like one movie every six to seven years. So she did one in 2020. So maybe it'll be until 2026 <laughs> that we, we can get another one. Oh, dear Lord, I hope not. Yeah, I think we both want to see the next part of this, I guess, trilogy. And hopefully the camera work isn't as frenetic and maybe a stronger co-star would be good. Because, yeah, Shovna deserves her own action trilogy. Yes, agreed. So we've come to the end of four films. Do we have any way of sort of summing up how we feel about all of this? It's just exciting to watch movies where women push the story forward. And especially when we are looking at we started with the great father god 
<laughs> to, to come from there to here, you know, what a nice trajectory it's been. I'm still, I'm still mad about the great father, so I don't think I'll stop being <laughs> for a while. No, I agree with you. But on the other hand, you know, it's, it is good for us once in a while to put these things out there and... <laughs> and discuss things, particularly with a star like Mamuti. Like, we really do need to talk about some of these films. Yes, and all the cinemas, this big production house, they put out some turd-like content, so... (laughs) (laughs) Don't hold back, Harsha. (laughs) But yeah, no, I agree with you. It it has been really fun, particularly this... I mean, I, you know, I've mentioned to you that it has been really fun to look at action films, which are not what anybody considers the strong suit for Malayalam cinema, and to see how they've done. And, and then to end with looking at how women have worked in this space, which we, which we rarely talk about. So, you know, that's been, a, that's been nice. Because we weren't planning this originally. This was kind of an addendum to our series on action movies. And I'm really glad we got the chance to do it. Thanks for listening to the Poland and Empathy podcast. If you like what you're hearing, remember to come back for our next episode and share our podcast with your friends. If you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at polandidapati at gmail.com or reach out to us on our Twitter feed at polandidapati. See you next time.